0: Joshua chapter 12, if you'll join me there. Chapter 12 of Joshua sort of brings us to the, the closure of kind of a first section of Joshua, which deals a lot with... The major conquests of the promised land is a bunch of military campaigns have been transpiring. Chapter 12 now gives to us sort of a summarization. We'll see as we go through it, basically a summary record or a list of the different territories that were conquered uh, by the children of Israel, not only within the land of Canaan itself, but even during the time when they conquered a few territories on the eastern side of the Jordan River under the time of of Moses here. So it's sort of a rehearsal uh, of the faithfulness of God, a list of some of those things. And of course, as we look at these things, Uh, we're once again reminded that God's an accurate record keeper uh, and he cares about details. And so obviously, again, some of these things are are tedious, but God wrote it. Uh, So therefore, we recognize it's worthwhile for us to read it and to let it speak into our hearts and our lives. So look at me in verse one. We pick up there where it tells us, these are the kings of the land whom the children of Israel defeated and whose land they possessed On the other side of the Jordan, toward the rising of the sun, from the river Arnon to Mount Hermon, which is way up in the north, that's a reference to, uh, and all the eastern Jordan plains. So again, this is a reference now here, these first... Uh, six or so verses to the territories that were conquered uh, on the eastern side. Now, we saw a lot of this way back in our studies uh, earlier uh, prior to the time of when Joshua was taken over. Uh, Again, these were territories, remember, that were conquered under Moses' leadership and then were given to those two and a half tribes that chose to settle on that side, and that's what's being referred to here before it describes the, the actual different territories conquered in Canaan itself under Joshua's leadership and military campaigns verse 2 says one king was Sihon king of the Amorites who dwelt in Heshbon and ruled the half of Gilead from the Rar which is on the bank of the river Arnon from the middle of that river even as far as the river Jabbok which is the border of the Ammonites and the eastern plain from the Sea of Chinneroth, and remember again we said the Sea of Chinneroth is just another reference to the Sea of Galilee up in the northern part of Israel, that's what's being referred to there, to the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, and of course the Salt Sea is a reference to what we often call the Dead Sea, down further in the south. Uh, the road to Beth-Jeshemoth, and southward below the slopes of Pisgah, and the other king, was Og of Bashan and his territory, who was on the rem, of the remnant of the giants. Remember, this was the guy we read about who uh, had about a 10-foot uh, long bed. I mean, just a, a monstrous human being this particular king was, uh, yet was conquered, dwelt at Ashtaroth and Andrei, and reigned over Mount Hermon, over Salak and Bashan, as far as the border of the Gesherites and the Maacahites and over half of Gilead to the border of Sihon, king of Heshbon. These Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the children of Israel had conquered, and Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given it as a possession to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh. So again, what we have referred to here in verse one through six is basically just a rehearsal Of God's past faithfulness and a time of God's past faithfulness going way back but yet again here in the word of God we we have these reminders that apparently from God's perspective he recognizes that there is something really valuable and beneficial for us to in a sense on occasion rehearse in our thoughts in our th- in our thinking maybe even because we've recorded it and journaled that there's something very helpful to us about rehearsing the faithfulness of God in our lives cuz we have a tendency to just forget and there's something very helpful very beneficial when we remember and reflect upon the faithful acts of God in times past in our lives because that's often what gives us the encouragement to trust the present faithfulness of the Lord, and to believe that God will work in this battle, or in this circumstance, or in this challenge, and it's amazing how, you know, I can't seem to remember the things that I want to, and the things that I'd like to forget. I. I can't seem to forget you ever notice kind of how (laughs) life sort of works like that And, and because of that I think God understands the you know the frailty of our human minds and that we are fractured human beings because of our sinful fallen condition that God on occasion purposely wants us to remember to reflect to rehearse of course even as we we get to the new testament we see this is something we're even commanded to do consistently regarding the very basis of our relationship with jesus that we are told in celebrating communion that what we are doing is remembering jesus his broken body his shed blood and again as a christian it seems that just like people who periodically utilize you know a chiropractor they go to get regularly it's almost as if God understands we need continuous spiritual alignment. We need to continually be reminded what this is all about, that it's about Christ and him crucified and it's about a relationship with Jesus, not about church or ministry or or Christianity, as but it's about Jesus and his love for us and, and what he did for us personally and what he means to us personally and that he demonstrated that love in his broken body and shed his blood to cleanse us of our own failures and our own shortcomings and that as we fail continuously we can come back to that place and realize lord thank you that it's covered Thank you, Lord, that though I failed again, that there's sufficiency in your shed blood and your finished work. And, and God wants us to continue, I think, rehearse. It's a good thing to maybe journal on occasion. It's a good thing to just stop and reflect and think. And here you have, again, historical records of things, yes. Is it already recorded in the Word of God? Absolutely, absolutely. But God knows there's something valuable about his people remembering, reflecting how God defeated their enemies, how he's worked before, and even as far back as here, at this point historically, thinking back to what verse 6 says, how Moses, the servant of the Lord, was the one leading at that time as they conquered, and how God conquered through Moses' leadership. God brought victory through Joshua's leadership. Again, it's not about the man, it's about the ministry of God and his power and his faithfulness That brings about these victories in our lives. So it's these two and a half tribes, Reuben, the Gadites, and the half tribe of Manasseh. They were given, remember, the allotment of that eastern territory, because that's what they requested. They didn't want the land of Canaan, and in a sense, God graciously condescended to, I believe, what was his permissive will, not his perfect will, to let them remain outside the land, though that wasn't God's ideal and best for them. Uh, He allowed them to do that, but ultimately, as we'll see historically, that causes a lot of problems for them as well because because they were outside of the area where the people of God predominantly were. Outside of that severe, they were constantly vulnerable to enemy attacks because they weren't within the land among the sphere of that connection to God's people. They made themselves subject to quicker vulnerability when attacks from the enemy came because they didn't have that support system being outside the land. Verse 7 says, and these are the king's of the country then which Joshua and the children of Israel conquered on this side of the Jordan that is on the west. And that's what we've been reading thus far in the first 11 chapters of the book of Joshua, a rehearsal of that from Baal Gad in the Valley of Lebanon as far as Mount Halak and the ascent to Seir, which Joshua then gave to the tribes of Israel as a possession according to their divisions in the mountain country, in the lowlands, in the Jordan plain, in the slopes and wilderness, and in the south, the Hittites and the Amorites and the Canaanites, the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And then you notice, beginning in verse 9, down all the way through the remainder of the chapter, verse 24, there is this log or this list one by one of the different kings and territories that they conquered. And God takes the time by his spirit to record these for us here. The king of Jerusalem, one. The king of Hebron, one. The king of Jarmuth, one. The king of Lachish, one. The king of Elon, one. The king of Gezer, one. You begin to get the point there. I won't uh, torture you by trying to pronounce some of those and making you sit through it. But you get the concept that one by one, there are 31 different kings and representative territories that they conquered a list basically there what God does is records in his word from verse 9 down through verse 24 this is basically a, a, a list of 31 different occasions where God's faithfulness was demonstrated to help his people What's that list in the Bible for? What do we need that list? I mean, again, to us, we may look at it and think, well, that's just tedious reading. Couldn't God have given me another parenting tip or something? I mean, (laughs) I mean, couldn't He give me another marriage idea or something? I'd be much more helpful for what I'm doing in my life here. I mean, but we have to understand: for the nation of Israel, for the original readers of the text, for these people, the people of God, as they were, these were meaningful things to them we look at those things and of course because we are outside of them objectively but for them as they heard the king of libna verse 15 one the king of Adullam. yeah you remember that you remember that battle against the king of libna remember what happened in that one and how it went this way and and how god came through for us and and, and as they would hear each one of these things being read And again, the repetition of it, one by one by one, 31 different occasions where God's faithfulness was demonstrated in their lives. Not just one time God was faithful, but 31 different times. In unique situations, in unique circumstances. Again, as I said, yes, some of these things are tedious to look at in the Word of God, to read. But as I said before, we recognize, some of the things we recognize is that God keeps really accurate records, apparently. God's aware of everything, and God cares about the details of our lives. You know, sometimes we think, man, God must be so you know, busy and occupied. I mean, running and managing the whole universe, certainly. I mean, he probably just checks in on me once in a while. But I mean, uh, beyond that, I mean, ha- but we recognize that's not true. God cares about every little detail. The Bible goes so far to tell us that Jesus says that even the very hairs of our head are numbered. Now, that's pretty intimate. That's pretty specific, but that's just to reinforce to us that we have this all-sufficient, all-knowing God who cares to use all of his sufficiency and all of his knowledge to know every single little detail of what's involved in your life and what you're dealing with and what you're going through and what battles you're facing and what those battles involve that are different, the battle of Jericho that you fought three years ago that's different from the battle of Libna that you're fighting right now today and that the Lord cares and he's interested in in helping out and will be faithful in this battle in the same way that he was in that battle, that he'll come through with his grace and his power and his presence to help you Again, 31 unique situations, uh, again, another way of recognizing this, And 31 unique situations where something other than God was ruling a specific area at one time, and yet then God helped his people to overcome and conquer it, and now instead they have gained control over that area. These were kings, these were territories. So each one of these describes in some unique way where something other than God was ruling an area, and then God got involved and helped his people, if you would, to overcome that area that was once not under his control. God helped his people to overcome, to conquer, and now they gain control over an area that God once didn't have control over. And of course, what a beautiful reminder and picture as well of often how our spiritual life goes we come to Christ and you know the big things kind of drop off right away or whatever but then we start to realize that God cares about things even that no one else even sees, the attitudes of our hearts and the things internally that perhaps nobody sees, the struggles, the, the areas of our life. And, and one by one, the Lord seeks to help us get victory and territory over the flesh and the sinful nature and different areas of our life. And there are areas in all of our lives when we first get saved and even here tonight because none of us are yet perfected. If you were, you wouldn't be here. You'd be in glory. And there are areas in our lives still today where perhaps God is not ruling in that area. Our flesh still tends to kind of have the foothold in that area. And, and maybe it's the next area where the Lord says, listen, in this area you keep being overruled. And I don't want it to be that way. I want you to have victory over that. I want you to be able to overcome that. And, and my son broke the power of sin. And sin doesn't have to have dominion over you. So we can, we can uproot the, the rulership of that area over your life and, and, and you can take territory and gain control over that. You can gain victory over that. And this is a part of us entering into the promised life as they gradually conquer the promised land that the Lord one by one says, listen, battle after battle, territory after territory, I want to see you keep conquering things in your Christian life whether it's your emotions or bitterness or pride or anger or lust or some life-dominating habit or struggle with whatever it may be. God says, one by one, I want to I uproot what is controlling and I want you to gain control by my power and my help in those areas. And how wonderful we can you know, look over our lives and perhaps it might be a beautiful thing on occasion to perhaps document. We all have our own list kind of like this. Man, it used to be this, but that doesn't control me anymore now. That used to control me, but that, I, I have victory. God's given me victory there. I didn't once have victory, but now I have victory there. And it's sort of a, a list of the faithful victories that God has given to us. As well, one last thing I think this list reminds us of is here are 31 different times when God's people took steps forward. And they conquered more territory beyond what they already had. They acquired more territory and they grew. They made progress. And this, of course, is a good exhortation and reminder to us that this is in the same way they took territory and grew and went forward in the promised land. We're to keep going forward continuously in the promised life of the Spirit. None of us ever arrive. Paul, 30 years into his Christian journey, said I have not yet apprehended that which I was apprehended for, but yet this one thing I do, forgetting what's behind, reaching forward to the things which are ahead. There are always new things ahead. There are new territories to conquer. There is more ground. The Bible says that we are to keep growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter says, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge. Again, we're to keep adding. Keep moving forward. Keep taking new territory. Don't ever sit back and think, well, I, I've, I think that's it. I've kinda, No, there, there are plenty more territories. There are plenty more things to conquer. Keep growing. Keep moving forward. Here, over 30-some times, they kept taking on a new territory and moving forward. And we should do the same spiritually as well. Now as we come to chapter thirteen, what we are gonna have given here is really a transition. You'll see in the chapters ahead, uh, and I apologize, admit to you in advance, they're a little tedious and not super exciting texts in some ways, but this really becomes now a division in the book of Joshua because chapter thirteen really all, pretty much about all the way out through around chapter twenty-one described for us the allotment of the different territories that are given to the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, there are some things within this of some battles, and we'll try and draw attention to a couple things here and there. But a lot of what's given here, again, it is really just like a surveyor's description of boundaries of mountains and rivers and uh, different territories that would mark out the boundaries geographically of the different allotments that were given to each. Of the 12 tribes of Israel. So, w- what I'm actually going to do is this, since I'm such a merciful guy, I actually made maps here. Help find a partner and pass out the papers to the students. Here's a couple more. So, hopefully, visually, this will hang on to this this week, next week, and in some ways, hopefully, this you can just keep it in your Bible will give you a little more of a, a visual reference to what's being described here. I know, being a little visual, sometimes. Helps a little bit rather than trying to read uh, all the little fine details and wh- what is that referring to, and where's that at and so forth. And we'll we'll try and see maybe look at chapter thirteen and, and fourteen tonight, and the next time kind of wrap up some of these uh, these territories here. But uh, chapter 13, if you'll just draw your attention uh, to the text there with me, uh, at least initially act like it. And then if you're bored, I know you'll just be looking at the map the rest of the night. That's okay. I can I can handle that. I've been praying all day for God to help me with that. (laughs) I'd rather look at a picture, too. (laughs) Chapter 13 says now Joshua was old and advanced in years the bible is always honest that's because god is look and the lord said to joshua you are old dude <laughs> and you're advanced in years so apparently from god's perspective that's not a bad thing it's just uh something that happens and he says so it's when it happens time to just embrace it you're old You're advanced in years. That's the benefit of getting old. You know, we live in a culture today where people look at getting old as if somehow that's a a horrible thing. But that's because we are so foolish and arrogant, we live in a throwaway society. And fail to recognize that when people get old, I like the description, and advanced in years, indicating, guess what? They've advanced a lot further than most of us have in things like wisdom. And experience. The Bible says the gray head is a is a crown of wisdom. They've experi they've advanced beyond things that we have. They've experienced things. They've logged in their time and have great value and benefit. And sometimes people look at those who are older and advanced that somehow they can't contribute anything. And the sad thing is sometimes those who are older and more advanced in years start thinking that about themselves. I have nothing to contribute. That's not true. You have a lot to contribute a lot to contribute and you should never think otherwise you have a lot of value because you've advanced beyond a lot of those around you so he says Joshua you're old you're advanced in years Joshua may be somewhere between 80 to 100 years old at this point in time uh, approximately and he says verse 13 there remains very much land yet to be possessed so what this is describing here Joshua understand and his army They did take take control of the the bulk of the land by destroying key cities, by conquering key kings and territories, sort of a divide and conquer mission. They went in, then they went southward, and then they went northward. So they've they've basically, uh, again, they have not conquered every little city and overcome every little ruler by this point. They've broken the power of the enemy hold. And they basically have broken the strength of the enemy within the whole territory of the land. But yet still, once that was accomplished and they were in the land and had basic rest because the power of the enemy was broken, Joshua is now going to assign each of the different tribes, the 12 tribes, territories. And it was their job when they went into their assigned territories within their inheritance to gain mastery over the remaining uh, inhabitants who were still there in sort of little mop-up missions and small military campaigns. And of course, you know, this is a good picture in some ways because it's a picture of what Jesus has done for us spiritually. Jesus, by his life, death, and resurrection and ascension, has broken the power of sin universally. He's broken the back of sin and its strength. He's disabled the ruling, controlling power of sin. Yet, we must, as Christians, by faith, walk out our Christian lives and live out our Christian experience through obedience and faith and continue moving forward and gain mastery over different areas still of our lives By recognizing the power has been broken, but we now have to yield to what Jesus has supplied and there's always more room to grow and new territories to take. And this is the idea here where he says, Joshua, there still remains more territory to be possessed. Assign the tribes so they can begin to take possession of what I've already given to them by breaking the power and guaranteeing it will be their inheritance and the same should always be again as i said earlier our reminder there always remains more territory to be possessed we should always be recognizing there's still room to grow there's still more territory to be possessed and in the spiritual life we want to maintain that attitude of faith and forward movement for us verse two says this is the land that yet remains all the territory of the philistines of the Gesherites from Sihor, which is east of Egypt, as far as the border Ekron northward, which is counted as Canaanite, five lords of the Philistines, the Gazites, the Ashdodites, the Ashkelonites, the Gittites, the Ekronites, and also the Avites. Now, again, if you look on your map, I gave to you kind of over to the far left, you see some of those Philistine territories being described. There are Ashdod and Ashkelon and Gaza. These are the areas that are being referred to. Verse 4, from the south, all the land of the Canaanites, Mira that belongs to the Sidonians as far as Aphek, to the border of the Amorites, the land of the Gebelites, and all Lebanon toward the sunrise from Baal Gad below Mount Hermon as far as the entrance to Hama. and Again, notice the reference there to Mount Hermon. If you look at the very top of your map next to where it says Hivites to the right, you get a reference point of what's being described there of the northward boundary. All the inhabitants of the mountains from Lebanon, as far as the brook Mizroth and the Sidonians, God says them, notice, I will drive out before the children of Israel, only divided by lot to Israel as an inheritance just as I've commanded to you. So again, notice that the great encouragement there that God says in his word regarding those territories, there remains remains land to be possessed. You have to go possess it in faith and obedience. But God's promise is, listen, he says, you don't have to do it by your power. He says, I will drive these things out. Aren't you really thankful? I know I sure am. That God says, listen, You have a part to play in this. You need to walk in faith. You need to believe the promise of my word about sin and victory over it. You need to take steps of faith and obedience and walk in righteousness and obey the scripture and repent where you need to. But listen, I'm gonna drive out the struggles of sin in your life. I'll drive those things out. If you'll yield to me, I will bring forth the power to drive out things from your life. What a great encouragement for the things that we still wish would be driven out of our lives and what a wonderful reminder that a lot of us here in this room tonight, we could write our own list of things that we didn't drive out of our life, but God drove out of our lives. Attitudes and addictions and habits and wrong behaviors that God graciously by his power drove out of our lives since we've been walking in the promised life of the Spirit in Christ. Verse 7, now therefore divide this land as an inheritance to the nine tribes and the half-tribe of Manasseh. So the other nine tribes and the remaining half of Manasseh will now be given land on the western side of the Jordan, the left of your map, Uh, with the other half-tribe of the Reubenites and the Gadites receive their inheritance which Moses had given them beyond the Jordan eastward as Moses the servant of the Lord had given them from Arar which is on the bank of the river Arnon and the town that is in the midst of the ravine all the plain of Mediba as far as Dibon and the cities of Sihon king of the Amorites you notice that this is now somewhat repetitious of what we just saw in the last chapter basically what we're looking at here is a defining of the geographic boundaries and territories on the east which really takes us down, uh, if you look down with me to verse 14, it says, Only the tribe of Levi, he had given no inheritance. The sacrifices of the Lord God of Israel made by fire are their inheritance, as he said to them. And we'll talk more about this uh, in a moment because there's a few references to Levi. Again, we remind ourselves that Levi was the one tribe that did not receive land inheritance. And that's because they were the ministers of the Lord. They were to be set apart to the things of God and not to be preoccupied having to maintain land and cultivate you know, territories and so forth. They were to be focused and dedicated to the things of God. And remember, they were scattered in 48 cities. We'll see later in the book of Joshua throughout the different tribal territories to be a spiritual influence. Well, verse 15 then gives to us the description of the territory and boundaries of Reuben. So from verse 15 down through verse 23 describes the area of Reuben. And again, if you look at your map, just kind of somewhat makes it a little less uh, painful. You can see Reuben is sort of to the, to the bottom uh, of the map there on the right hand side below Mount Nebo, uh, left of Ammon and the, that kind of area there where they had conquered to the southern part of the, uh, eastern side of the Jordan, sort of bordering up against the Dead Sea there, referred to as the Salt Sea. Verse 24 down through verse 28 is a reference to the territory of Gad that's described there, the territories of the different towns and ranges and rivers edge and so forth you can see gad there sort of right in the central part of the eastern side of the jordan and how uh the uh, river jabbok if you can see there if you see the word sukkoth if you look to the right that how that river sort of ran right through the central territory of gad they were sort of centrally located on the eastern side And then verse 29 references the tribe of Manasseh. And you can see the large territory. And again, the half tribe of Manasseh, half of the tribe chose to stay on the east. The other half of the tribe of Manasseh made the decision to be in the land. You can see if you look to the left, the other big territory, Manasseh, was actually in the land of Canaan itself. So verse 32 says, in summary, these are the areas which Moses had distributed as an inheritance in the plains of Moab on the other side of the Jordan by Jericho eastward. But notice again, verse 33, but to the tribe of Levi, Moses had given no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel was their inheritance, as he said to them. Chapter 14 then tells us somewhat how this was being done as far as the administration of the different land allotments. Verse 1 gives us an insight by telling us these are the areas which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan. So now we're moving into a description to the left side of our map of all the territories of the other nine and a half tribes that actually were in the land of Canaan itself. And here's how they did it. Notice there was sort of a a shared responsibility, how it was administered, the land territories, which Eliezer, the high priest, he was the spiritual leader of the land, Joshua, the son of Nun, he was sort of the military uh, general or governmental leader of the people of Israel. And then there were the heads of the fathers of the tribe. So it seems a representative of each of the tribes was involved. This was sort of a collective effort, a balance of power that was being operated here. Uh, The children of Israel distributed as an inheritance to them. Now, there was human work and effort and cooperation. But notice, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 16, the lot is cast into the lap. But it's every decision is from the Lord. In other words, humans at times bring forth the ways of God, we're involved maybe sort of orchestrating the activities, working through things, but ultimately God superintends and brings about his will and his purposes if we're truly yielding to him, wanting him to be the one who has his way come to pass. And this is what verse two describes, because notice what it says there in verse two. Their inheritance was by lot, as they would draw lots. But notice, as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine tribes and the half tribe. Again, this is indicating to us it was the Lord who was commanding and determining how each lot came out. So was there a human process? Yes, but basically all they were doing, the leaders was basically, listen, they were receiving direction from the Lord and then they were just implementing what God decided. That was their job as leaders. Their job was not to provide direction per se. Their job was not to suggest direction or give direction. Their primary job was to be sensitive, cautious, careful, prayerful as they went through the process, having oversight of the land allotment. Their job was to receive direction from the Lord and then just to implement what God was directing, to implement what God was deciding. This is how spiritual leadership is supposed to be orchestrated. What's being described here is that God was determining where each tribe's lot and boundaries were. God was making those decisions. God was determining by his wisdom knowing the size of each tribe knowing the nature of the people involved knowing all things about all people and all matters god was the one deciding and determining what each managed what each occupied what each one was responsible for and it's good to let god decide that and you can see by looking at the map some people had areas in the north some people had areas in the south Some people had larger areas. Some people had smaller areas. Well, why that? That's not fair. Different people had different responsibilities and spheres of influence and amounts of responsibility. Who determined all that? God did. Because God knows all things. And it's just best, rather than not fret or worry or get angry or upset, well, why do they have that area? Or why do they get those boundaries? Or why do they get those up? God's deciding it. God's sovereign. We, we trust that God knows what he's doing. Our responsibility is to know what's my boundary, Lord? What are my boundaries? What have you assigned to me? And to be faithful in what our assignment is. To know our assignment, to know our boundaries, to take responsibility for them, to not worry about, well, why can't I have that boundary too? Maybe God doesn't want us to have that boundary. Maybe he wouldn't be able to handle that boundary. God says, you function within the boundaries I've given you. That's safe. You'll be successful there. And all of that works according to God's good purposes. So God was the one ultimately deciding where the different people groups were. Verse 3 says, for Moses had given the inheritance of the two tribes and the half tribe on the other side of the Jordan. But to the Levites, again, notice here's this repetition. He had given no inheritance among them. For the children of Joseph were two tribes. Remember, they were split to Manasseh and Ephraim. And they gave no part, there it is again, to the Levites in the land except the cities to dwell in with their common lands for the livestock and property. And the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did as they divided the land. So again, we have this reference here to the Levites. And as I said, how they received no land inheritance. They were just placed... In 48 different cities, they were assigned to among the 12 tribes of Israel. Basically, what God did was God just scattered them throughout the nation. Why? to spread spiritual influence everywhere because they were the teachers of the word of God. This is the tribe from which the priests came. These were the ministers, the Levitical ministers. So everywhere they went, they would be sufficiently able to have spiritual impact and influence. So if the people needed help spiritually, there were always Levites there available in that area to help them and to assist them. So the Levites were scattered around the nation to have spiritual impact, to help people connect with God wherever God sowed them and sprinkled them all around the land. And the Levites had no inheritance because God was their inheritance. Now again, this is a picture because in a lot of ways as believers, we're like the Levites. We're salt and light. And God does the same thing with you and I as Christians. He takes us and he sort of scatters us around in different areas and in different places among the nation so that we can have spiritual influence in different pockets and corners and territories. Why am I at the job I am? Hmm. I wonder why from God's perspective you're at the job you're at. Yes, God wants you to be able to make money. Yes, God wants you to have something to do to be occupied. But God actually cares about the people that you work with that don't know Jesus. That are going to go through challenges and trials and difficulties, and you'll have opportunity to represent the Lord among them and maybe be a spiritual influence and have an impact. Why do I live in the neighborhood do I live in? Why, why did I have to be in a family that I'm in? Hmm. Maybe because God cares about people. Maybe because God loves people. and He knows how to reach people. And, and so like salt, God scatters us around in the different places he does. And in the same way, just like the Levites who had no inheritance, we have no inheritance in this world. And that's how we ought to live as Christians, to realize that our inheritance is in heaven. So we should not allow ourselves to become preoccupied so much with feeling like we've got to acquire everything on this earth. Listen, I know we need to be responsible and work jobs and maintain homes, but we have to be careful that we also don't get caught up in the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this life in such a way where we're we're so preoccupied with trying to inherit and acquire and maintain everything here that we're not fulfilling the primary purpose that we're here, which is to have spiritual influence and impact and realize we should have a light grip on this world because our inheritance is in heaven. That's what we're seeking to inherit, eternal reward and ultimately That's what our destination is. So much like the Levites, we represent the same verse 6 now begins to describe judah the first territory you see to the south there of the land of canaan to the left and we'll look at maybe the rest of this chapter here to sort of wrap it up but this one man caleb has a great uh, sort of spirit here we see of the tribe of judah caleb the son of jephunneh the Kenizzite, said to him you know the word which the lord said to moses the man of god concerning you and me in kadesh barnea now he's talking to joshua remember uh, I was 40 years old he says to to Joshua when Moses the servant of the Lord sent me from Kadesh-Barnea to spy out the land and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart nevertheless my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt but I wholly followed the Lord my God so moses swore on that day saying surely the land where your foot is trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever because you have wholly followed the lord my god now what's being described here remember joshua and caleb they're the two old dudes among israel at this point they're the only two who survived the 40 years in the wilderness when all the younger generation died off because of their unbelief and disobedience Because when the 12 spies went into the land and came back with an honest report of the land, Joshua and Caleb said, yes, there are giants in the land. yes, those things are true, but it's a good land and God will give it to us. Let's go in. Let's obey the Lord. Let's trust the Lord. Let's venture in and let him work on our... And the other ten spies, remember, as being referred to here, the other ten spies, as these guys were trying to encourage, it says that they discouraged the hearts of the people. They caused the hearts of the people to melt, and all the people, remember, turned and they rebelled against God's will and God's plan. They didn't walk into the promised land the first time. And when that was done, and Joshua and Caleb wholly followed the Lord, they weren't half hearted, they were all in, they were willing to trust God and let Him work. God honored that faith in their hearts. And God promised them, listen, though everyone else will die off, you will live and this land will be given to you and you'll survive to experience it. And God promised that he would reward their faith. And what's what's Caleb doing here? We're going to see here, he's in his 80s and he's saying, I'm cashing in on the promise. I'm cashing in on the promise from 40 years ago. God gave me that promise And he's recounting to Joshua saying, you remember, it was me and you. You can't forget it. Remember what happened? He's reminding him what took place. Look at me, verse 10. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. That's the a reason he would still be alive, as he said. These 45 years, which means he's probably about 85 years old, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses when Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now here I am this day. Look at it. "'85 years old, and yet I am as strong this day "'as on the day when Moses sent me. "'I may be 85, but I am 40 in my mind,' he says. "'I'm just as strong today as when I was 40. "'On that day when Moses sent me, "'just as my strength was then, "'so now is my strength for war, "'both for going out and coming in. "'Now therefore,' look at this guy's spirit. "'Now therefore, give me this mountain "'of which the Lord spoke in that day.' For you heard in that day how the Anakim, remember they were giants, were there, and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be, he says, that the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord has said. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh's inheritance, and Hebron became his inheritance, the son of Jephunneh, Caleb the Kenizzite, to this day because he wholly, the Bible tells us again, he wholly, third time, followed the Lord God of Israel and the name of Hebron, formerly was Kirjath Arba, and then the land had rest from war. So notice, right in the midst of this account of lists and logs of boundaries and territories, the Holy Spirit purposely inserts this man Caleb at 85 years old and not only is his spirit the same as when it was at 40 but i mean this guy has grown and leaps and bounds spiritually talk about somebody who continued to progress spiritually all the way up into his mid 80s here the spirit of caleb is set before us by the holy spirit to inspire us toward spiritual zeal in our lives to give us an example i think it's a great way to examine our lives and let's just take a moment if we could to reflect upon the life of caleb here set before us purposely to draw from his life some example that would hopefully inspire us to want to have the spiritual zeal that this man had that was honored and that he was blessed first of all you take notice this guy was a man of faith i mean from the time that he was a young man he was full of faith and now here he is 85 years old and his faith has just grown He's 85 years old and he's still saying, listen, I don't want to sit back and relax. I'm not looking to go to the golf course. I'm not looking to you know, find, I, I, I'm still in the things of the Lord. I want to take more territory. God promised this, and here he's still believing that God is going to work. And he was a man, it says here three times, who wholly followed the Lord. The idea there again is he, he, he didn't follow half-heartedly. He wasn't someone who gave, well, I mean, that's good enough. That wasn't his attitude towards spiritual life. Well, that's good enough. I mean, I mean, whatever's the bare minimum and, and this was not his attitude. His attitude was, no, not the bare minimum, the absolute maximum. I want to give God everything I got until my dying breath, everything I possibly can. He was wholly following the Lord. And he firmly believed that God would keep his word and promise. Do you sense that's what he's saying here to Moses? God gave me a promise. God gave me his word. This is a man who believed and expected that God would fulfill his word. He believed that. God said it. God will do it. If God promised it, God must fulfill it. And God has the power to fulfill it. And he believed God and took him at his word. Hey, great way to examine our lives tonight where are you in relation to believing the word of god do you just read it or do you really believe it do you believe that god's promises are true if you believe god's promises are true then take them to heart and act upon them do you believe that god's going to fulfill his word do you do you exercise faith towards the lord do you give god opportunities to stretch and grow your faith to trust the lord and are you wholly following the lord are you are you kind of doing the bare minimum to just maintain the Christian status quo or are you wholly following the Lord this is what Caleb sets before us in his life I love this man and his illustration of scripture because this is a man again he makes no excuses for the stage or season of the life that he's in how old is he again 85 years old 85 years old he's not saying listen I mean let the young bucks do this stuff I did my time, man. He's 85 years old. And at 85 years old, he's saying, look, there's no retirement in spiritual life. In fact, he's probably saying, I got more time now. I'm on Social Security. I got extra time. What mountain can I conquer? And what enemy can I fight? And, and he didn't make excuses. But yet sometimes, let's be honest, do you ever notice sometimes spiritually we make excuses because of some season of life we're in, and we say, oh, well, this season of life I'm in, it's just just not a real convenient time to really be all in for Jesus, because this season of my life, or this stage of my life, listen, we should never have that attitude. In season, out of season, all seasons, all stages, to our dying breath, we should be 100% in, always engaged, there's nothing more important to do with our time. This guy's personal devotion and commitment to the Lord is what gave him the strength and vitality he had in his life. Why was he such a vibrant guy? He's saying at 85 years old, I am just as strong today as I was the day when this all first happened 45 years ago. It was his commitment to the Lord that brought life and vitality to him and kept him so vibrant. And this guy's not asking for easy tasks, is he? I mean, here he is, he's 85 years old. And what does he want to do? He wants to climb mountains and conquer giants he's not i don't want the easy task give me the challenge and the reason why he wants the challenge look at it there verse 12 he says it may be that the lord will be with me and i'll be able to drive out those people as the lord has said this is somebody who's willing to take ventures of faith and give god an opportunity to work that's his heart and and you know what I think it's a wise thing on occasion if we claim to serve the powerful God that we do that sometimes we take steps of faith, we take ventures of faith into things and we give God a chance to work and say, you know what, it just may be that God will do something here. It just may be if I trust the Lord and obey the Lord and take a step and and, and don't back away from climbing the mountain or or facing the giant face to face in faith, it just may be that like David, Goliath will fall. Because it just may be that the Lord will work for me. And you know what? If you never take that step, you never know what may have been because you never give God a chance to work and to prove it. We miss those opportunities. Caleb here, a great, great example given to us to challenge us, to encourage us in the Word of God. Let's stand. Let's pray together. Father.